Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. All right. Good morning, church. So good to see all of you this morning. So thankful you're here. I am going to bring someone up for just a moment. If, if Miss Amber will come on up here, I want to interview her. Just so you know, uh, the Moors, her and her husband, have been at our church for several years now. But uh, Amber's one of our more prolific disciplers, um, which is amazing. So I wanted to just give her a moment um, to share some things, some things she's learned and things like that. So first of all, Amber, if you'll tell us a little about yourself. So I'm Amber Moore, um, and my husband, like he says, Joseph Moore, for y'all that don't know him, he's the bearded one around here. (laughs) Um, And so I've got two kids, Noah, who's 15, and Samantha, she is nine, and I work in IT. Um, I can't fix your computer, but more communications. (laughs) Good, good. So first of all, let me ask you this. How has discipleship, life-on-life discipleship, helped you with your spiritual growth, spiritual maturity? It definitely has provided that foundation for me to really understand how to study the Bible. It's a place you can go back to. The material is great, but I think one of the most important things, it gives you the tools to learn how to study the Bible for yourself, and then it gives you relationships with people. Um, For me, just beautiful sisters in Christ that you can go through life with and encourage one another. Yeah, that's great. So it's, it's, it's a formal material, but the intent is that it will become organic, that's that right. you can build relationships and it gives you tools like any good student gets tools. So what's unique about your story, though, is you've, you've had the privilege now of discipling several people. How many now? Um, probably on currently fourth. I think, okay. if I'm correctly, so, on the Wilson campus and Rocky Mountain. Are you getting better at it? I don't know about that. <laughs> I think we're just learning from each other. You do get a little better, though. You start getting more comfortable. What have you learned the most doing the discipling part of the process? Yeah, and so one thing I want to mention, too, sometimes you may not want to disciple because you feel like you have to know all the answers or be an expert. You have the Bible as your, and, and Jesus as your, obviously, as your leader to go through, and you have resources at this church to go back to. If somebody has a question... That's how I've learned the most. My people who I'm discipling ask me questions. If I'm not sure, we go study it together. We've got resources to learn together. So. Yeah. I've, have y'all ever, do y'all ever get offended if you ask someone a question and they go, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Let me go find out. Does that offend you when people do that? Or is it more offensive when people say, oh, here's the answer, and it's a bunch of baloney? That's way worse. Yeah, that's great. So last question. Maybe there's somebody on the fence here today that could be discipling or would, would, there's a part of them that knows they want to go through the discipleship process with someone. What would you say if they're on the fence right now to get them over Just here? St- take the leap and don't worry about time commitments because um, you can work it around your schedules, be flexible. If it takes a little bit longer... It's fine. You can take some time off as seasons of life get busy. Just just do it. Take a step. Awesome. All right, y'all give Miss Amber a hand. Thank you so much. And she's exactly right. This material is it's 21 weeks, the ones we've the one we've designed, but you don't have to do it in 21 weeks. Uh, I've had several guys, John, Lord help. I'm, I'm recognizing him today at the end. We've got a, a couple of people who've completed in the last couple of weeks, but we started, we stopped. We restarted. And that's been over about five years. So. Some people are the, on the extended stay. I'm partially to blame. But anyway, I'm excited this morning. 
We're finishing up our series called Come Together. If, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, this is the basis of the, the, the study material we do together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, in a sense, is like the heart scripture verse for what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. This is a verse I would encourage you to memorize. It was, it's a verse that should be in your head at all times, that this is... There's the great commission which Christ has gave, and then Paul begins to give us more here in 2 Timothy, expounds upon that. And so we're concluding our series, and the thing that is interesting, we talked about the great commission, but a lot of Christians, including many of us, we don't really know exactly what it means to be a disciple. We, we know that we know these truths. We, we know these certain things about God. We know about salvation. We know about grace. And we've learned these things over time. But perhaps we never really experienced some sort of discipleship process. Someone who came alongside us and said, this is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it looks like to read your Bible. This is how you study it. This is how I pray. You can build on this. Uh, there's mo- a lot of us just really haven't experienced that, and so we feel like we don't know how to pass that on, which is problematic when we run into 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And so we begin to say, well, maybe, it's, maybe I'm a Christian, but this discipleship thing isn't for me. And I do think as a church as a whole, not to say our church, but I think churches as a whole have made the decision somewhere along the way that only the, the super Christians do discipleship. That, that only these elite, if there is such a thing, just so you know, there isn't. If there were the, some other category of people, they're the ones that do ministry. Those ones Paul talks about, those apostles and teachers and evangelists, those are the ones well, that's, that's troublesome considering Jesus said to all of his disciples, go and make disciples. Go and do this. This is your greatest mission. And then Paul tells us, now pass it on and trust it to others. And so it's a job for his church. It's a job for his people. And it's the most wonderful job there is. It's the, you, there's, there's hardly anything else in this life that is more fun, more joy than seeing someone's eyes, seeing just a light come on in their head as they go, oh, that's what God has done for me. Oh, that's what it means to get serious about walking with Christ. That, seeing that light bulb come out on. I mean, leading someone to Jesus for the first time is amazing. And then beginning that process of, Here, all right, here's what that means. Look what God has done for you. There's nothing better than that. And so we get this joyful mission of doing discipleship together. So what do we do? What's our part to play? I want to give you just some really basic stuff today that I hope will help you just take step one. And some of you are on the journey. Perhaps this will encourage you in, in, in the way you're already going. And so the Apostle Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, he instructed him as the pastor of the church at Ephesus to lead them in a disciple-making process, to be a disciple-making church. And Christ commands us to do the same. These words of Paul echo through time to us. And we can see exactly how to do this. The text has four instructions today. I hope you all weren't planning lunch. I've got four instructions. I hear no laughter. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. We're going. No. Here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Let's see the four instructions for disciple-making churches. Just one verse, so we are in luck. And what you have heard, verse 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others 
also. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. We'll be able to entrust this message to you and pass it on to others. So here's the first. The first instruction to be in a disciple-making church. Be relational. Now that first one is the hardest one for me. It's the hardest of all the instructions because this goofy introvert likes to be alone. And so, and I often see people as projects rather than people. I'm sorry, this is who I am, so I have to come at you knowing, oh wait, I've got problems. <laughs> I've got things I need to overcome. Now, there's strength in that. There's strength in my personality in that I can encourage and push people to great things, I think. But at the same time, sometimes I miss compassion, empathy. This first instruction is so important. It's so much a part of what the, of the, what the gospel is about. It's be relational. Look at Paul's words. These are consistent both with Jesus, with John, with Paul, all of his apostles. They say things like this. Circle the word in your notes or in your Bible even if you like. Circle the word my child. My child. He says, then, my child. Now, then, he's pointing back, just so you know, a piece of information. These chapters that you have in your Bible, they're not original. All right? So don't, I hope that doesn't blow you up. But some English-speaking person down the road said, okay, people are going to have trouble finding their way. So let's put some chapter markers in here. Paul just wrote a letter. It was straight, all right? So he says, okay, then, my child, then. What is then? Everything I just said so far in this letter. What have I just said? He's just told Timothy. He's reminded him of some stuff. He said, Timothy, I'm so proud of you. I'm praying for you. I'm reminded of your sincere faith that was passed down from your mother and your grandmother. How you just have a genuine faith. I'm also reminded of, of how... At times you can be fearful because it seems Timothy is a young man. And so he's saying, drive out that fear. Remember who you are in Christ and don't be ashamed of the gospel. This is all in chapter 1. And he says, don't be ashamed of me either. Because at this point, Paul, this is probably one of the last, if not the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He's probably in chains in Rome, very close to his own his own martyrdom. So he's writing to Timothy in a precarious spot, and he's saying, hey, don't be ashamed of the gospel, and don't be ashamed of me, your disciple or your mentor. Don't be ashamed of me. I know where my road is heading. I know it looks bleak, and there are a lot of people around me have, have, have left me on this journey. He says, but don't be ashamed of me, because I am thankful for what Christ is doing. So he says all these things to Timothy, and it's the second time in this piece of the letter he says, my child the Greek word here for child is technon. Now, it could have used a lot of different words. It used the word technon here, which has to do with someone who is dependent upon someone else, a child that is dependent. And what he's saying is, you, everything that I have instilled in you now depend on that. That's the reason he calls him this type of child. You are my spiritual son. I have passed on all my, all my knowledge to you. You've been on this journey with me. And so now, my child, be strengthened by the grace. My spiritual son, be strong. Don't be weak. Don't be fearful. Don't be ashamed. Instead, here's your word. Be strong. Be strengthened. This is one of those imperatives in the text. Not strong in yourself. Some of us are really good at that. I know that's kind of my leaning is 
I, I can do this myself. I can take care of myself. I'll be all right. I can, I can just kind of bull my way through a situation. Sometimes getting myself in places that I shouldn't have ever been. No, he doesn't tell that to Timothy. He says, be strengthened in the grace. The grace by whom Christ Jesus, this unmerited favor. So but discipleship always, it always begins in a relationship with Jesus. In him, with him, through him. Look at Mark chapter 3. It says that Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that, they, so that they might be with him. They might be with him. Now here's, here's an interesting thought, and I'm still wrestling with how to manage this in my life. Because <laughs> here's, here's part of the problem with our American culture. Our American church is we are super busy. And we've got a lot to do. And all of it, if we break it down, we're like, it all seems important, except for the fact that so little of it is, has any spiritual connotation. So very little of it has eternal perspective in mind. And I'm not making you feel guilty. I feel this too. Such that when I think about what Paul did, when I go even further back and think about what Jesus did, what did he do? He just spent a whole lot of time with 12 guys. And he spent a whole lot of time with 70 and then 500. But the most with these 12. And what did they go on to do? Here we are at church today. In another continent. That's what they went on to do. And so here's what Robert Coleman. This is a troubling. It's a true. It's awesome. It's encouraging. It's also troubling at the same time. Robert Coleman in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. My readers in the room, this is a great book. It's like a foundational book. A lot of your pastors, a lot of your ministers that you've been under have probably read it. He says this, Robert Coleman says, Amazing as it may seem, all Jesus did to teach these men his way was to draw them close to himself. He was his own school and curriculum. What did he do right? He said, I've got time for you. I've got time to spend with you. I would encourage you, maybe you're not the Messiah, you're not Jesus, so maybe don't try to take on 12. But what would it look like to take on one? To say, this is a person I'm going to spend a great deal of my time with because I can tell they're hungry for the gospel. They're hungry for more. Maybe, I'm a, maybe I'll spend it with three. This is the idea of life on life is that we've given you something to do, but that's not the point. The point isn't that, oh, we'll check these boxes off. Irrelevant. The point is that you would begin to spend time together talking about your walk with Christ together and that something life-changing would occur over time. Smith. That is amazing. That's what Jesus did. Look what, and it, there's other places I could go, but look, look at what the people say is Peter and John, they come before the Jerusalem council for preaching. They heal this man as they're coming up to the, to the temple there in Jerusalem. There's this man at the gate called Beautiful who's begging, and, he, and they say, Hey, I, silver and gold I, I don't have, but what I do have I'll give you. Get up and walk, be healed in the name of Jesus. And so now this crippled man comes tearing into the temple going, I'm held. And everybody's like, well, we've been seeing you for years down there, freaking everybody out. Hey, they healed me in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John came in there preaching the gospel and got themselves in a whole bunch of trouble. As I've noticed, as I've noticed, the name of Jesus often does. You start preaching in your workplace. You start telling people about Christ openly. You're eventually going to rub some people the wrong way. And so there was a lot of people in Jerusalem that... We're, we're, we're troubled by this. And so they came before the council. And I love what Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says. 
It's so great. It says, Now when they saw they be in this council, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. These are fishermen. They were astonished. They recognized these key words, that they had been with Jesus. Something was different about these men who spent time with Christ. There was something unique about them. I think it's a lot of things. First of all, they know who they are. They really know who they are. They're confident in themselves, maybe unlike they've ever been in their lives. Yeah, they had all this confidence in their craft before, but you know what Jesus did? He showed up, got on the boat, and said, hey, let's go out and fish. And the guys are like, it's the middle of the day. We're not going to catch anything. What did they catch? Way too much. What was Jesus doing in that moment? I don't, I don't want you to be confident in this silly stuff anymore. I don't need your confidence to be in my craft. I'm really, I'm a good fisherman. No, you're, you're a really good fisherman when it comes to the gospel. That's who you really are. Who you really are, doctor, police officer, who you really are in this room is a fisher of men. That's the thing Christ has truly made you for. That's why he gave you the Great Commission. Teachers, whatever you are, whatever career, you fill in the blank. What are you first? A disciple maker. That's, that is your primary purpose on this earth, which could be very encouraging to you when, when things are up and down at work, when money's not all right, when, when things go wrong, when there's sickness and all. You can, you can look and go, well, my primary purpose is this. How am I doing at that? It doesn't matter that. I don't make as much as the Joneses down the street or that things don't go exactly the way I had dreamed them in my head. No, my primary purpose is disciple maker. How am I doing at that? And if I'm not doing well at that, then all this other stuff, all this other stuff I'm accruing that that will become dust eventually. Does it matter? Now, I'm kind of of (laughs) painting a pretty strong argument. There's something that's true about good, honest work. Paul also says a man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. So don't hear me say, hey, just go on doing ministry or whatever and and don't worry about working. uh, This is a both and sermon, okay? This is continue as you go making disciples. But spend time with people. You cannot do discipleship alone. You can't. You can't do this one-on-one or or, or getting a group of of people together. You can't do that without being relational. True disciples recognize this, that there's a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. This is always going to be true in your life. Vertically, I would ask you this, and this is really the first and big question. How is my relationship, how am I being relational with my Savior? Am I spending time with him? Would people say of me as they said of Peter and John, we can tell you've been with Jesus? That's a really good question. Would other people, if I could go into your workplace today and I asked them, what can you tell me about such and such? What can you tell me about this person? Would they say, you know, they're really joyful. They're really hopeful. I can tell that they spend time with Jesus. They talk about him. Or would they say, hey, you know, he kind of keeps his head down. I don't really know him. That would be possibly what they would say about me in the workplace. So I have to fight that. I have to, I have to come out of my shell. And I've noticed something, church, something wonderful. The more I spend time with Jesus, the more I'm kind of like him in the public. The more I'm less of this introverted, hermit kind of type. When I spend time with Jesus, I get a heart for others. I wonder what people say of you, this person's been with Jesus. 
And then this horizontal things. That this, and we used to talk about this a lot. I haven't shared it as much lately. But do you have three key human relationships? Three. Do you have a Paul? Like he says to Timothy. A Paul, a spiritual father in the faith. Someone you can call today if you're having trouble in your marriage, something's wrong with your budget, something's wrong with you, your head's not on straight. Is there somebody you can call today and go, I need help, my friend. How would, give me some advice. Tell me where to go. Let me spend some time with you. Do you have that person? I wonder if you get to an age at some point where you don't have that person. I don't know. I'm not there yet. I know that. I think for most of our life, we have a spiritual Paul. And then the next one is, do you have a spiritual Barnabas? This is a guy who rolled with Paul. They spent time together. They went on mission together. Do you have somebody you can just kind of rub shoulders with and say, hey, I'm facing this today. Well, I'm facing that too. And go, oh, well, how are you dealing with that? You know, someone that's a, com- a comrade, if you will. And then there's a Timothy, a spiritual son, someone you're pouring into. And here's the great thing about the Timothy relationship. You learn the most. You learn the most there. Because like Amber said, and you know this is true, if you've ever tried to teach a child or teach anybody, they're going to come up with questions you never thought of. Kids are great for this. They'll ask these questions that seem irrelevant to you, like why is the grass green? If I'm going to give you a legitimate answer, I don't know. Something about chloroform? I don't know. i got to look this up. Chlorophyll, chloroform? (laughs) Chloroform is a thing you like knock people out or something. I don't know. See, I don't know. I'd have to look this up. Why is the sky blue? Ozones? I don't know. God, God did it? I mean, there's your base answer to your child. Well, I don't know. God did it. I'd like to go a step further because I'm a weirdo. I've never asked the question, why is the grass green? And that's the kind of questions that new believers ask that you haven't thought of before or, never, or just haven't thought of in a long time. Why did God have to send his son? Why couldn't God have done it another way? Boy, there's a question you may have never been asked. Why is there bad stuff in the world? You've heard people ask this, but have you ever really tried to address it? Why did God allow evil? You start going through the Bible with people, start asking, and they'll come up with questions. You're like, wow, I never saw it that way. And guess what you get to do? Research and learn. Because we never get too old to learn. And if you don't like learning, I got bad news. I have a suspicion that in heaven we're going to keep learning. I could be wrong, but I have a good feeling that this infinite God, this God that cannot be fully understood, I don't think it's suddenly in heaven we go, well, I totally get this infinite God. I don't think so. I think we will continue to see the depths of his grace and his mercy and his love. We will learn new things for eternity. Christians continue to be learners. Here's the second instruction. First, be relational. Second, be discipled. Find someone who can pour in to you. Even if it's not someone at this moment that you can be poured into in person, maybe there's someone you can find, but that one-on-one, that that organic relationship, there's nothing better. Be discipled. This is what he says in in verse 2, the second section here. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened, that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard in the presence of many witnesses. I want you to continue, Timothy, to come back to this thing you've heard. Now, what is he talking about? What is the thing he has heard? There's a lot of different ideas about what this could mean in the text. He says, in the presence of many witnesses, there's a lot of different commentators and people writing on the subject that think what Paul is referring to is, 
I don't want you to forget the laying on of hands that we did for you when we called you to the ministry. I don't want you to forget this ordination that we gave for you. That's one view. I think, though, more likely it's a both and. Paul is reminding Timothy not only that, hey, we, we laid our hands on you and called you to ministry, but not just that. Everything that you've been listening, you've been following me for a while. Timothy is, is one of them young men that just roll in with Paul on his journeys and hearing him preach. And then when they're alone, hearing him teach. And there's this one-on-one time and there's what he's hearing corporately. And he's, Paul's reminding him, hey, the stuff you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, pass that stuff on. Don't keep that to yourself. So similar to what Jesus had done. Now, Paul is doing what Christ had commanded him. Timothy is now instructed to follow in that line of thinking. Widespread, spread the knowledge that you've learned both through me, through Christ. Now, there's a cost to this. (laughs) I like to be honest when I give you the the good news. I want to give you the whole news, not just partial. Jesus says there's a cost to being this kind of disciple. This is why in the book of Luke, and I believe it's in one of the other Gospels, but I often go to Luke 23, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That the idea of discipleship is an ongoing day-to-day, chasing after Christ, imitating him, denying your own random whatever, unless it lines up underneath what Christ is trying to do, and you, you, you put that aside, and you follow Jesus. This is... This idea of self-denial, but not in an Eastern kind of sense, which is like putting off self in such a way that you could reach nirvana or something that you're, you're separating yourself from self, like this really mystical stuff. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I'm going to lay down. I've got this little basket of dreams and all this stuff that I think will make me happy. And God, and through Christ, is telling us, this stuff is never going to make you happy, and it's not your mission. I'm going to make the decision to deny myself, take up the cross, of, not, not his cross, but take up my cross, which is whatever Christ has called me to in my generation, and follow after him. And then, the, and then he goes on, Jesus goes on in, in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see just the, the almost paradoxical way that Christ talks about discipleship? But I see it and there's joy in it. Because the hard part is I've got to take all this big basket of stuff that I thought was right for me. I've got to put it down and say, all right, Christ, I'm yours. Where do you want me? What do you need me to do? You know, any of you bosses, employers in the room, your best employers are those ones that go, what do you need me to do? Where do you want me to be? When do you want me to be there? I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be ready and I'm going to work hard. That's what Christ has commanded us. He says, put this stuff down and just say yes. But guess what? Here's the wonderful news. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why is it light? How can Jesus say this? Jesus, you just asked me to set down my mess and follow you. How is that easy? Well, because... Because the way in which I operate is I do all the work through you. This crazy thing, 
When I, when I empty this, this piece and I say, all right, God, I'm yours, fill me. Now he can operate through me to people. So that now when I spend time with Jesus, they might say, man, I can tell you've been walking with the Lord. I can tell you've been walking with Jesus because the kindness you've shown me, the words that you're saying to me, the way in which you're treating me, no one treats me like that. No one cares. You'll find this anywhere you go. Ask anybody, just about anybody in your life, in your neighborhood, walk the neighborhood and say, do you feel like people care for you? It's like a common thing that I hear among people in this generation. Like this, It just seems like no one really cares. Spend some time with Jesus and people will go, wow, why? Why, do you, why are you here? Why are you talking to me right now? Why are you being nice? Why do you, why do you want to do this for me? Because, through, <laughs> because his burden, his yoke is light. And when he starts to use and speak through me, I start to go, wait a minute. This was never meant to be in my own strength. I just needed to set this aside and say, all right, Christ, I am all yours. You are Lord of all. This is what Paul tells the Corinthian church, in fact. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So, my friends, if you're looking for someone, I need, I know this, I need someone to pour out in me. I need someone that I can call when I need it. I need, I need someone who can disciple me. Who are you looking for? It's very simple. Who in your life is imitating Christ? You can look at the way they speak. You can look at the way they act, the way they work. That person's walking with Christ. As Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, this has been my pathway, and I would encourage you, pause for just a moment. Believer in the room, pause for a moment and think about the many witnesses, as Paul said. Paul says, in the presence of many witnesses. Who have been the many witnesses in your life? Who have been those disciplers in your life? They're, when I look back to where I am now, it took a village. It took a lot of people at specific times in my life to encourage me to stop being a goofball at one point, to stop chasing girls at one point, to stop thinking that, oh, I, this is the stuff that's going to make me happy. I needed a whole lot of people on this journey to say, wait, that's not, that's not what you're looking for. That's not right. That's not it. And people that would guide me through this, it first started for me in my home. That doesn't happen for everyone, but I had a, a Gary and a Robin in my house who were modeling Christian faith, who were modeling what it looked like to be a Christian marriage, what it looked like to be Christian parents. Are they perfect? No. They have plenty of flaws. I have no interest in getting into those today. I have tons of flaws. Some of them I got from them. We have a tendency to pass these things on. Be a good idea, single people in the room, freshly married. Try to work out some of this stuff because you start doing it with kids. They're really good at parroting. They're really good at just modeling their lives after you. And so I got this organic kind of stuff from my parents. I watched, I saw, I heard the way they spoke. There were teachings in there. My dad had a habit of like reading us Bible stories from time to time and making them fun. And we did this game called Bible Quiz at the table. This sounds really nerdy to some of y'all, doesn't it? It's because you don't know what you're talking about. Um, this was awesome. Just try this kind of stuff with your kids sometimes. Your kids just want to talk to you. They want to know more about you. They just do. And if they, if they can tell you love them, they're going to want to spend that time. I was just happy to hang out around the dinner table with my family and try to learn stuff, some of which made no sense to me at the time. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What, what, what kind of crazy names are those? Who are the three Hebrew children that were thrown in the fiery furnace? And then I'd get a penny. You can make this game cheap, y'all. Pennies. <laughs> Pennies. They don't add up to much unless you play night after night. And then we'd compete. My little sister, she didn't learn as much about the Bible because she'd goof off too much and wouldn't know the answers. But it was a competition between me and my brother Stephen. All right, whoever gets the most pennies. Silly stuff like that. Was it like formal? Absolutely not. It was organic. But there was gaps. There was gaps in my learning that some other people had to fill in. But I'm so thankful for my parents. And then there was another man that was just in my teenage years. And I needed a few people in my teenage years. I'm thankful for my youth leaders, those people who are doing youth ministry here. If you're called to youth ministry, understand something. People make life-changing decisions in that time period. In those teenage years, people get serious about their faith or they walk away completely from it and may not come back for a while. I had this, this man from the Czech Republic named Anthony Vahala. And uh, he was our kind of interim youth pastor for a little while. I called him the persecutor. Because not only did he just have no time for my goofy thoughts about, oh, but, you know, I like this girl, or this is the kind of stuff. He would just shut it down in a very, I don't know if everybody from Czech is like this, but mm, just shut it down. He loved hockey and he loved to run. He would show up at my house after I had just downed like a full Pepsi and say, oh, let's go for a run. Let's go take a run. I'm like, dude, I'm going to vomit. If I go run right now, he would show up. That's why I started calling him the persecutor. God sent that man for me. Now, I know he had a lot of other reasons for being where he was in his stage, but my perspective, he helped me get from point A to point B. And then there was another man named Greg Gergoni who helped me along that journey, showed me more of the sweet side. He wasn't so persecuting. And then there was a man in college named Brad Woodluff who took me through a very formal training, taught me a lot of stuff, helped me along that journey. And then finally I came full circle and my dad took me through the life-on-life -life material that now we teach here at the church. It took a lot of people in this journey, but the thing is, I made a decision I needed it. And I can't make that decision for you. No one can make that decision for you. You want to move on from what you're struggling with today? Would you like in a year to be able to say, I don't want to, I don't want to continue to be struggling in that sin area today uh, and a year from now. I'm tired of being this way. I want, to, I want to overcome this addiction. I want to overcome this anger problem I've got. I want to under, overcome this. I, or maybe it's nothing negative. Maybe it's I just I, at this point in my journey with the Lord, I feel like I should have some better understandings. There should, I shouldn't be so stuck. Look, now I'm starting to have kids. I've got teenagers now, and, and I need to know how to address these things. This is the all-encompassing idea of being discipled. Think of all the people who've invested in you spiritually, and think of how sad it would be if you decided to just go ahead and pull yourself out of the game. Say, I'm not going to be a part of someone else's journey. It's not the right idea. Someone, <laughs> probably starting with your children, I need you to bear witness. Here's the third instruction. Be disciple makers. Be discipled. Be discipled makers. These are really, really tough points. I know y'all are thinking, man, you, met, you needed a college education to come up with these really hard points. Be relational. Be discipled. Be disciple makers. You know, this job is not that tricky, y'all. You just have to be willing to get up in front of people and speak for about 45 minutes and not make them fall asleep, which... 
I'm not that good at. Sometimes my voice is very soothing, I guess, for some of you. Be disciple makers. He goes on to say, hey, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, be able now to pass that on. Entrust is the word he uses. Entrust that to faithful men. Now, I love that he gives us just in this little bitty scripture some really good qualifiers. Here's what I'm supposed to do. Here's my mission on earth as a disciple maker. I pass this on. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of material here to cover. There's some really amazing, life-changing. Salvation is here. The gospel's here. How to parent is in here. How to be a better husband, a better wife is in here. How to be a more obedient child is in here. How to follow God. Where's his will? It's in here. How to, how to handle my finances. It's amazing what's in here. I have the material. Be a disciple maker. What do I pass on? I pass this on. And I pass on that which I've been discipled. There were some people on my journey that have helped me understand how to make disciples. Now, who do I do this with? I love that he qualifies it. Because if he'd have left it open-ended, I'd be so confused. He says, no, pass it on and trust it to who? Faithful people. Faithful people. Now, some of you in the room are, are a little newer to our church. I'm going to teach you an acronym that sounds bad at first. But every once in a while, we ask people around here, are you fat? And I know for some of you, you're like, don't ask me that. That's not nice. But it's an acronym. Fat means faithful, available, and teachable. Are you faithful, available, and teachable? These are the kind of people you're looking for in your life that if you're ready to, I want to be, the, I want to be a disciple maker. I want to be someone who's pouring out for the kingdom of God. I'm not looking for the person then who every time you call them, it takes them a week to call you back. They seem to be disinterested in conversation with you. They're unavailable. Or maybe you spent some time with them and you've run into these people in your life. You spent time with them and every time you try to show them something new or teach them something new or give them good godly advice, they have their own answers. Or they, say, or they tell you why that's not going to work. If you've had kids, you have at least one of these already. I have two of these, I think. Maybe, maybe all of them are in their own way. No, Dad, I'm four. I know how this should work. What you're telling me, no way that's going to work, Dad. I've only been here 30-some more years than you, but hey, you do it your way. That's my parenting style. Okay, you want to just completely disagree with me? Go knock your head against the wall. Go for it. Those are the kind of people in your life that aren't teachable. They're not faithful so look for those. You'll know when they're hungry, when, they're, when they want to be with you. These are the kind of people you begin to pour out with. Faithful men who then will go on to teach others. If they're faithful in their discipleship process, they'll be faithful to pass it on. If you continue to pour out with people who are, are not faithful, you're, just, you're basically just running in place, running this crazy treadmill, and you're doing all the work and they're not doing any. That's not what it looks like to be a disciple maker. Jesus gave both command and example. Matthew 28, we talked about this last week. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And then in John, he, quali he qualifies that. He says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So here's where that American culture, that thing just smacks me in the face again. And I go, what did Jesus do? He spent a ton of time with people. He poured out his life with them. He says, that's your strategy. Spend time 
with people. But Jonathan, I already do Sunday mornings, and you're asking me to do this community group stuff. I just I don't think I can do anything else. What about, what about those people at your workplace? You've got to spend every day with them. What about at home? Don't you, don't you spend time with your husband, your wife? Don't you spend time with your kids? What about this person at church that just keeps kind of... There's, maybe there's someone here that just kind of is drawn to you. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't know. I, I think not. I've given you an example. Do just as I've done to you. Spend time with people. Boy, this one is so challenging to me. Because at night I often, or, 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 you know, when my work day's done, I just kind of want to veg out and, 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 and re-energize myself. But this, this should be starting at home where my kids all the time want to spend just an outrageous amount of time with me. I, I think it's odd, but maybe it's a great thing. I don't know how your children are or were. Maybe this is normal. My kids do not know how to entertain themselves. All four of them. They need daddy and mommy. And daddy's fun. Daddy does strange things. You want to spend time with him and I just want to be alone. <laughs> he says, I've given you an example. Do to them what I've done for you. He's eating with them. He, he, they, they, they're traveling together three years. Paul told Timothy to follow his pattern. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, just the previous chapter, he says, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard it with your life and hand it on to the next generation. This is this crazy thing about Christianity is we were always just one generation from this whole thing falling apart. One generation, all it takes is for us to say, we're not going to do anything with this. We're not going to pass it on. And the next group knows nothing of him. And this happened. All you got to do is go back and read the Old Testament. They, they lost the law at one point. They lost it. Nehemiah goes and discovers it, and they all tear their clothes. They're like, oh my goodness, can you see this? They lost the Bible. And this could happen to us in one generation. I used to run track in high school, and this I've heard this illustration before, but I want to give it, I want to pass it on to you one more time. In high school, I did the 4x800 relay. I, I was a long distance guy, so I did the 800, the 4x800, the mile, and the two mile, all in the same meet. By the time I was done, I was totally gassed. But the 800, you run two big laps, and you run as fast as you can for that 800. And so, anyway, the 4x8, you got four guys, and you hand off a baton. Now, What's really challenging about all this is you're already running really fast and you're already not considering the handoff. Of all the things you're having to think about, the handoff is the minimum thing. How hard is it to simply hand somebody something? That's easy. The hard part is running this crazy race. And yet, <laughs> this is a funny statistic to me. Since 1988, I had to look this up again because I knew it was a thing. The U.S. Olympic men's 4x100 team, these are the fastest men in the world. Arguably the fastest team in the whole world. Since 1988, they've won 12 medals. 12 medals. They've also been disqualified 12 times for missing the handoff. So here they are hauling, moving, fastest men in the world, and they can't make the handoff. 
You can watch video after video of these crazy things that make you go, oh, of all the things to screw up. You started on time. You were outrunning everybody, and you just couldn't simply pass this. The thing doesn't even weigh a pound. You couldn't hand it off. This is so much like the Christian faith, it's funny and sad. The thing that, the thing that is, my yoke is light, my burden is easy, the weightless thing. And you go, but I'm running this race. I'm running so hard. I can't pass this thing off. It takes too much time. I got all this other running to do. And if you don't do this part, it doesn't matter how fast you run. It's irrelevant. Oh, but I'm booking it. Look at all the ministry I'm doing. Look at all the great stuff I'm doing. Look at, look at how hard I work and how much I've amassed. And yet I did not tell my son about Jesus. And yet I did not pass on the gospel to my children. It's irrelevant how hard you run. You're running in a circle like a, like a guinea pig on his little goofy wheel. This one pound weight. He says, my yoke is light. My burden is easy. But if you don't pass it on, this next generation will run in vain. They will run for nothing. Are you obeying Christ's command? You can pop up this image. This is, this is the, the, the way in which we do it here. But it's just the beginning of something. It's a relationship builder so that you would go on to grow in your faith and teach others. Here's the last thing. I've got to, I've got to hurry. Be strategic. The last instruction, be strategic. Notice Paul's gift to Timothy here. He says, I don't just want you to give this out willy-nilly. I want you to guard the deposit, and I want you to entrust it to faithful people. What are these faithful people like? Yeah, they're available, they're teachable. He qualifies it this way. These are the kind of people who will pass it on. These are the kind of people who will be able to teach others. Now, I want you to know something about this life-on-life material we do here, and I do hope if you've not been discipled before, you would do this. If you've got the talent for making disciples, please get plugged in. We need to be making disciples. It's the Great Commission. But here's the qualifier he gives, and, and this is why as part, as really, I often use it as the very first lesson I do with someone. It's either the first or the sixth. You have this flexibility. Here's what I mean. The ver- this lesson is called the challenge. And the challenge is such that, hey, the stuff I'm telling you right now, will you agree to pass it on to somebody? And if someone says, you know, I don't have time for that, or I don't feel comfortable with that, Okay, well, let's just stop right here and you come back in a year. You come back in six months and tell me when you're ready to do this. Why? Because that's the qualifier that Scripture gives us. Are they the kind of person who will receive and pass on? Are they the kind of faithful people who will be able to teach? The word here is didoxi, which means to instill doctrine. This is what it means to teach, that you would pass on that which you've learned about Scripture through discipleship. His strategy was this. Mark 3 says, I appointed, or he appointed 12 so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Here's what Robert Coleman says about that in the Master Plan of Evangelism. The time which Jesus invested in these few disciples was so much more by comparison to that given to others that it can only be regarded as a deliberate strategy. He actually spent more time with his disciples than with everybody else in the world put together. Three years of just constant care. And here's his strategy. You can pop this image up. 
This is the strategy that Paul then imitates from Christ. Paul pours out to Timothy. I've got just Timothy listed there, but Paul also poured out to Titus and to John Mark and several, many, many, many more. But the ones that go on to, to be book writers and um, to be apostles, not apostles, but to be leaders in churches of Ephesus and Titus is in Crete. And then what do they do? They go on and Paul says, do this. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. What did Christ do? He poured himself out to three, poured himself out to 12, 70. There were 500 that he spent time with, but he did most of his work with the 12. You do that same thing. Follow me as I follow Jesus. He teaches Timothy this same strategy, which makes this so simple, my friends. If at the end of the day, if you could just honestly say there was this one person I poured out everything into and look where they are. If you could just have one, that would be better than zero. But you're going to get, as soon as you start doing this, you're going to find, wow, that's, there's such joy in the process and I learned so much. Here's our church's mission. This has all been very individual. Here's our church's mission. And you can see it on the door as you come in. Our church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ who have a growing heart for God, heart for each other, and heart for our world. A heart for God that's expressed in worship and giving. A heart for each other through fellowship and discipleship. And a heart for our world through evangelism and sacrificial service. Now something that we're going to start doing even more this year, and we're starting to do more work now, we did this past, just this past week, several of our families went and crashed the neighborhood over here. This is, we've called this our circle of accountability. Hallelujah. That's my son, Nate. He's gone one slide ahead for me. We've called it our circle of accountability. And what that means is we feel as a church that this, this, this part of the city, we're, we're basically adopting. And we want to do something about it. In Wilson, they're calling that their neighborhood. I kind of like that. But this is, this is our neighborhood. This is, and so just this past Thursday, we went and walked the streets. It was 90-something. I was sweating worse even than I am right now. You know what I found to be true? And I can't speak for all the families, but people were very receptive. It's, it's a neighborhood that's troubled in our city. It's lower income. It's, there's a lot of poverty there. There's also a lot of children there. There's also a lot of the next generation there. We went and passed out these flyers inviting them to Kids Fest. I don't know what's going to happen this week. We might blow the room up because of what we just did. But I found that the people were very receptive and seemed... (laughs) You can walk through my neighborhood and you won't hardly see anybody outside. Maybe they'll walk their dogs and stuff like that. These people, house to house, so many people on their front porches talking to people, looking at us like, who are these crazy weirdos? All of us wearing the same shirts, at least in my group. They're thinking, there's a, there's a cult coming through the city. I don't know. But they're all out there looking very receptive. This is our neighborhood. This is where we're giving you an opportunity to express a heart for our world. This, what we're doing right now, this is heart for God. We're worshiping together. What we do throughout the week in, in small groups, that's heart for each other and fellowship and discipleship. And then we pour out to our world. Can you be relational? Will you be a disciple? Will you be a committed disciple who's relational, is being discipled, is making disciples, and is strategically on mission for Christ Jesus? Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would guide us. Guide us.
<laughs> in so many ways, this is a challenging message. And the reason that it's challenging is because this isn't the norm. This isn't what we see day to day with most people. This idea of discipling others, of pouring ourselves out, is not very common. It's certainly not common to do what you did, Jesus, some 2,000 years ago when you just spent day after day so much time with those, those 12 disciples that you poured out your life and taught them and then went on to literally pour out your life for them and for us. And we're encouraged now to, as you did, do unto others. God, would you do something unique in each and every one of us right now? Will you... Will you change our perspective just a little bit? Just tweak it a little bit so that we would begin to see success as less about how much we have in the bank, less about how comfortable we're living, less about our kids are superstars, less about, you know, I've got this going right, this going right. I'm on this company ladder and I'm climbing it. Whatever it is that we have felt was like the strategic win. God, would you tweak our vision just a little bit? Maybe for some a lot a bit. So that we would see the win as being faithful disciple makers. That would be the win. Today, what I did today was I poured out a little bit more to my son, to my daughter, to my spouse. I poured out a little bit more. At, the, at my workplace, yeah, I did hard work as unto the Lord, as the Bible has instructed me, as, as God has, has created me to do this hard work or this, this work with my mind I'm doing that, but in the midst of that, I'm pouring out for that person sitting next to me in that cubicle over, that person I work alongside day in, day out on this construction site, that I'm making disciples. God, that would be my win. Would you tweak my vision just a little bit on that, God? Show me that I have more time. It's like the great American thing to say, Lord, I just don't have the time. And yet you've given us all the same amount. You had the same amount when you walked this earth. And look what, look what was accomplished through your disciples. God, I ask now, would you change our vision? Help us to see clearly what you've called us to do. And God, encourage us in this. Remind each and every one of us, including myself, that yes, this burden is light. Begin to, to pour out through us. I pray for wins in the audience. I pray for wins as we go out into the workplace this week, as we go into our homes. Maybe we've not had any type of really trying to disciple anyone. I pray that you would give us victory as people would be hungry for your word. You do that part, God. We can't change hearts. We, we can't change the way people react. You can. Call people unto yourself and use us to bring people to Jesus. Use us to disciple others. Help us to be encouraged and free to do it. We love you. We ask now, Lord, that you would be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.